again, these are things that will they scale? I'm not sure. We'll see. But in the early days, it's what we can do to get to six figures before we have to think through getting to seven figures. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Today's episode is a little different. So uh, a quick update on this podcast. Something interesting is going on. Episode downloads have doubled in the past month. And I wish I could take credit for some amazing growth hack or tactic for the jump, but that's a complete lie. I'm really just doing the same thing. We've done some YouTube shorts that has maybe helped. One of them got 100,000 views. Some of them have gotten two views. But the credit maybe goes to the back catalog of what we've done. So today, I thought it'd be fun to bring on a friend of the pod. Uh, She calls herself a fan, but I call her a peer. We've done some stuff through the Growth Hackers events together. And she has an amazing growth practice herself. Uh, Her name's Maja. And I'm going to link to her website in the show notes so you can check her out and what she's doing. And she's launching a book pretty soon. But we thought it'd be fun to kind of flip the seats and let someone come on here and just kind of grill me and trying to kind of rip me to shreds and go deep on all things growth, startups, launches, how to position your product, how to do a go-to-market strategy. We go really deep on concepts and frameworks, and I thought it'd be fun if it's someone that really knows their stuff. So if you're looking to get tips on how to grow your next thing, then this episode might be of some help. So I really hope you enjoy it. Tim Hoffman, I'm so excited to have you here. You have been my role model for a number of years now, and you have been building it. You have literally been telling us stories about how you are launching things, and we have been observing free streams of your line of work. So the first one was, of course, Growth Hit, the agency. The second one was One Day Design, and the third one was Handsome Chaos, which is unfortunately still on red to these days. Exactly. But anyways, I just, <laughs> I just wanted to hear a little bit of your intro because you have helped hundreds and more companies to succeed in go-to-market strategies. So what's your traction there? How have you been tackling this? Oh, thank you so much for that amazing, amazing words. I'm in love what you're doing. I mean, it's it's so fun just to compare notes. But yeah, so been in the game for a little while. We've we've had growth hit now for almost six years, a growth marketing agency worked with over 150 companies. Before that, I worked at startups. I couldn't code. So that means you're a marketer. So I was a marketer. And even before that, worked in finance, looked at spreadsheets as an investment banker. But it's been so fun to kind of go down that entrepreneurial path as an agency owner, working with founders, looking to grow things. And then from there, you know, was able to write a book on growth marketing, just sharing what, what we've learned. But then also, if we're such a good growth team, why can't we grow our own stuff? And that was the whole spirit of the growth of the the startup studio. And so we did that with One Day Design, as as you mentioned, which is a productized service doing design that we've gotten to six figures. The goal is seven figures. So we're a tenth of the way there. And then uh, trying to do with our D2C brand, an e-commerce company, Handsome Chaos, which we, we, we think we're good at marketing. We're learning we're not good at manufacturing. But the goal is... To be honest and very candid, to be a growth team, an agency that only works with clients where we own the product or we're a joint venture in owning the product. 
Absolutely love it. Maybe we could double down on some of your partnerships as well, because you have been in Techstars, you have been in Sephora, and just like observing all these startups and their go-to-market ideas from accelerators. What would you say are the common pitfalls? What do you think are the common traps where people are thinking about go-to-market strategies? Yeah, I, I super fortunate to work with founders significantly smarter than me through like Techstars, WeWork Labs, Aura Ventures, XRC Labs, like a bunch of different venture firms and startup studios and did courses through LinkedIn and stuff. And it's so interesting, you know, you you work with a lot of smart people that are looking to grow something and, you know, you have the stats on the reasons why companies fail. But, but what I see is it's usually very common and it's so simple. It's one they're not truly solving a problem or if they're making something, they don't really understand their customer. And when I say customer for early stage companies, I'm talking about who are those early adopters who regardless of how maybe ugly or hairy or not perfect your thing is, it's solving a problem. So they will go after and love it. And they want to bypass that because it's hard. By the way, I want to bypass it. It's the hardest part. And you want to do the fun stuff. You want to grow but the more you just sink your heels into, okay, are we actually solving a problem? Do people care enough to give money? And are we relentlessly focused on that? It's the most obvious advice, but it but it is so true. And that's something that, that I see time and time and again. You can see other issues with founders not getting along, running out of money, and other reasons why these companies don't succeed or, or make it. But to be honest, at the end of the day, it's, you know, do they... Tr- really have that traction around understanding a customer and solving a problem. Well, I'm blown away right now because just today I was a video from Ryan from The Capitalism that I think I met through you. And that was exactly his rave as well. So he was all about building an audience before you ever build a product, try to cater the product to the audience. And let's just continue by maybe you applying this wisdom of yours into how you went and go ahead to develop this handsome chaos strategy, meaning like all the learnings, everything what you have seen, how did you tackle this when you were doing it yourself? Yeah. So there's a there's a startup studio out here in Seattle where I am called Pioneer Square Labs. And there's one also in Miami, Atomic VC. And they have an interesting framework where when they pitch ideas, they don't pitch ideas. They pitch problems to solve and then want to come up with a business to solve it. So don't ever say you have an idea. What problem am I going to solve? So we we took that in mind. So the problem was, and these can be real problems like ending hunger, or they can be silly problems. And ours might be kind of silly. We're like, I'm a dude with longer hair. My hair gets oily. I've been stealing my wife's dry shampoo. I hate putting powdered sugar on my hair. So it's like, there has to be something better for a dumb guy like me. So I was like, I want a, a, a pomade that won't make my hair look like oily. So there's a problem. I'm a market of one. My next question is, do other dudes or people have this problem. So I literally ran a poll through a survey tool. I think I spent like $1,200 to talk to basically a thousand people over a certain age, over a certain income level and be like, hey, is this a problem? One, two, would you pay money to solve it? And three, would you switch from another brand to use ours? We got enough signals that over 70% of people would 
were like, yes, it's a problem. And yes, I'd pay money to see if you could solve it. So I'm like, game one, we will keep testing this idea. We then ran ads to a fake, to a real website with a fake product to see if we could sell it. We sold like 50 of it at a very good cost per acquisition. We're like, okay, that's another signal that we have something. We then built a wait list of a thousand people. Now, uh, go to present day, we're trying to actually make the product after 14 iterations, because I'm horrible at manufacturing products, we found something that I actually use every day. And so I'm like, okay, we like this. Now it's about let's go to market. And we can talk about the go to market strategy that we're employing that we've, we've done with some other brands. And it's, it's, it starts with two things that I think are so important, but are very undervalued. And the first thing is, when you look at your personas, who are they from one simple framework and that how do you speak to them? There's this really cool framework from Derek Halpern who talks about there's these three personas. You have your early adopters who are the informed buyer. So when you talk to them, they're switching because they're informed and use somebody else. So you sell them on features and benefits. The second example is someone who's afflicted. They have a problem, but they can't solve it. So when you talk to them, it's problem solution. Those two personas are your early adopters and fast followers. Start with them. If you get to an A-level of round of funding and you're going to the mainstream, then we have the third persona of oblivious person where... They have a problem, but don't know it, and they're not informed. So we just need to get their attention. So all the messaging we're doing is problem solution format or switching structure. And so we, we can get into examples of that. So that's step one. Step two is we need to give people a reason to activate today. Give them an irresistible offer. Alex Hermosi writes about this phenomenally well with his irresistible offer formula. And there's this idea of four traits of it. What's your dream outcome? If you use this product, what problem it solves? What do you become? Two is likelihood of this happening. Third is time delay gratification, which plays a big part in one day design, which we'll talk about. And then the fourth is level, level or effort needed to pull this off. Because here's the thing, how many times do you see like a cool idea with a cool website and a cool product where you're like, oh, maybe one day I'll buy that. And you never do versus the last time you saw something and you might have been on your phone, but you still made it happen. You're like, I can't pass this by and spend more time on that. A lot of people, oh, we'll just like launch it and the product's so amazing. Everyone's going to just hand us money. So no, like really engineer a reason for the skeptical person to buy. So those are two things that even before doing like a go-to-market strategy, I'm thinking through that as the anchor because then we can get into tactics and channels we want to do. But if you understand your persona, you know how to talk to them and you know how to activate them, you become a lethal weapon as a marketer to be able to deploy those on different channels and tactics that will evolve and change over time. Gosh, I love this, Jim. I just had this instance on Monday, a friend of mine and I launched this like kind of a online course and mm -hmm. with a single book post in a group of 8,000 people, we managed to make 21,000 euros with oh a single gosh. post within 11 hours. But here is what we did beforehand. We posted four value posts and these value posts were exactly what you were anticipating. So it was how to double your income, how to get clients from abroad, should you have like online presence before you start freelancing. It was just like so on point with the pain points of the persona. 
And when we launched this, people said to us, they stopped the car to read this. One girl took some money from her savings for the apartment to pay for the program. Like people pay within five minutes. It it was insane. Like I was just like watching and say, gosh, like something had to be right here. So just like my point of view here is that whenever you kind of figure it out, this persona language and everything, you can influence it. You can work your way into transitioning from these different personas by just like being active. This was literally the lessons that I learned this week. Oh my gosh, that, that's phenomenal. And the fact that the other thing worth calling out is that you went into a community, you went where these early adopters would be, you speak, yep. speak their language and you give them a reason to activate. Because I think that can be hard too, because with you know ads not being as efficient and things getting harder, you have to get creative and, and go where the people are. And deliver before you ever ask for a return. This has always been my guiding principles. Just give before you take. Yes. Oh, yeah, totally. And you're probably pretty active in that community before you make this post, right? I, I assume there's some like goodwill that's being built there. Hopefully. I like to do that. <laughs> Not quoting Jesus here, but anyways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that has been like a really, really interesting example in my practice, which I am very grateful for. But maybe the same could be applied for your one day designs, because I have been extremely impressed after hearing you and Jonathan speak about all distraction that has been going on. I think it can like only get better because it's such a good service to get something which is conversion rate optimization tested through the night. So you were explaining before the handsome chaos philosophy, but how was it different when you didn't have this physical cost to a product and all this like backlog of production? How did you tackle the go-to-market strategy for one day design? Yeah, it's a great question contrasting D2C direct consumer versus B2B companies because the economics are very different. With Handsome Cast, the product's 30 bucks. As we look at growth, we have to look at scalable channels. We care about referrals, virality, cost per acquisition, because we have to be very efficient with, with the budget. Whereas in the B2B world, like Rob Sobers, who he's a CMO of Ronis, he has this framework where it's called easy mode. Being in B2B is, is playing in easy mode because you know where the people are, their wallets are open, they have bigger budgets, and your margins can be a lot better. So, you know, as we're thinking through one day design and go to market strategy there, first, like, what are your options for growth? Really, there's four, right? You can grow through virality, you can grow organically, you can pay for growth, or you can find a partner channel, right? And so with those in mind, usually when you're starting out, you just need one to work. Um, so we'll get into those options, but kind of going back to that framework of one, who's a persona and two, what's the offer? The persona, we're still figuring that out to be very candid. Is it someone that's starting a website from scratch that needs it in one day? Or is it an established company that wants to use us like a design team or person that can do a lot of work? We can also do it by tech stack, Shopify tech stack or Webflow. So we're still figuring that out one, but two, the offer this was one where we were so obsessed with nailing the offer. We just put it in the name, like one day design, right? Because I've been right? sending this to like dozens of people. Oh, amazing. Yeah, because it, it, the worst thing that can happen when you launch something is people don't remember, you know? So if 
it's funny. The name either means nothing. You could be like Lululemon or Google. It means nothing. Or it can mean everything. Like microacquired just rebranded to acquire.com. That's insane that they own that. That's amazing. And so we leaned into let, let's own it. So we had the offer down. And so for our channels for getting traction, very dissimilar to D2C, where we needed to be more scalable and work with those unit economics, our margins are, are much better here. It's not as scalable as a D2C brand, but you know, we're selling things for 1300 bucks, five grand, 10 grand a month. So we were able to do a little bit more sales and marketing. So one big thing was content marketing, building in public. Whenever we launched on Product Hunt and Indie Hackers, and with our email list, we already kind of knew where people were and we went to them and, and told them about it. Another one is doing a mini podcast tour, going to these small groups just to let them know that, that it exists. Another thing that we've done is, you know, really figure out where is the their demand creation or do you need to focus on demand creation versus demand capture? And from a demand capture standpoint, we could definitely look at Google or there's a million people posting jobs every day that need websites, that need a designer. We crawl the web looking for those, and then we can reach out to them to see if that's a fit. Again, these are things that will they scale? I'm not sure. We'll see. But in the early days, it's what we can do to get to six figures before we have to think through getting to seven figures. So that that's, you know... It's knowing that we have different unit economics from B to C with this B2B company. So it allows us to do more scrappy things, maybe involve sales more because the mar the margins allow for it. But as we kind of get bigger, I'm I'm looking to balance more scalable things. But that's always the balance of what's scalable versus what's more scrappy and how you juggle the two of those at the different inflection points of growth. I love it. And here... I think it is all about the stages, right? Because at one of your podcasts, I cannot recall, but there was a founder, I think it was ConvertKit, but he was selling like DMs on Twitter, probably yeah. personally. <laughs> and I was like literally taken away from that because I have a friend who was developer there and they seemed like quite a big company to me. So I was like, what are yeah. they doing? I mean, uh, how, how can this interfere? It's all about the stages. On the other hand, I have a bunch of friends who developed like a WordPress plugin or like some sort of teams or something like that. And they had this bot on Twitter Then whenever like somebody mentioned something, they would be, hey, why don't you check this and that? So that was yeah. kind of automated. So I don't know if there is like a fine nuances between the stages and things that don't scale. It seems to be very messy. I know. And I, I think there's two things. If you're starting something, you just get overwhelmed because you have all these ideas, but you don't have the time or money to pull them all off. So I think of two ideas. One is what's scalable and what's not scalable. And then two, what is repeatable where, hey, if this works, it can be an always on channel versus what is like a one-time marketing moment or growth event? Because the most impressive founders that we've worked with that have done amazing things have one thing in common. They are experts at making noise in the sense that every month they're doing something that make people know about the brand or what they're doing. And that could be a product launch. It could be a partnership or collaboration. It could be getting access to a partner channel. You're an app. All of a sudden you're like on the Shopify marketplace or on the new Slack marketplace. You could be picking a fight with an incumbent. You could be writing a trend. And it's founders that like each month, okay, what are we doing to make noise? If you can take that and then bundle on, we're getting really good at paid. We're getting really good at SEO. We're getting really good at content marketing. 
those are the companies that I'm most impressed by. And then, you know, one thing, yeah, you're exactly right with Nathan Berry ConvertKit. Because I asked him, I'm like, why are you DMing people? He's like, it's what got us here. He's like, I never want to lose that hustle to just sit back and let other people do the scalable things. You always want to do those little things because it might not have a 10x return. It could just be a 10% return, but you're always pushing that boulder forward. So it's, it's something that... We 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 were doing our growth planning. We published this on Twitter where we show our always on growth tactics. And then for the year, what we think are like our four to five marketing moments that we're going to try and create. And so yeah, that's that that's something that we're trying to balance. Amazing. And just like the story about building your personal brand, I have so much admiration for you for being consistent. Because yesterday I talked with ex head of growth at Foreo. This is a sonic brush for the face. It's a very nice product from Sweden. Yeah. yeah, it's a very cool gadget. And established this wonderful concept of never lose the momentum. If you just disappear for two months or some three months or something like that, or if you are only launching once a year instead of every quarter or something like that, you're gone. People who pledge to love you will just suddenly disappear. I mean, in this world, is as if it would be all about creating this sense of novelty and to what I loved it. And this is something that I really, 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 really will pull from another sphere here. But GS1 Global said that their main goal is to stay relevant. So top of the mind question for me is how to stay relevant, how to stay top of the mind, how to always be in a spotlight. Oh my gosh. It's it's such a good question and one that we're trying to figure out the formula on. Because I think there's two things there. One is consistency, just because I totally agree. If all of a sudden you go away, people are like, oh, oh wait, oh, if you go away, then come back. People kind of lose a little bit of the love and they kind of forget. Or they even blame you for it, right? Because yeah, they kind like of develop a habit and then you abandon them. <laughs> yeah, because I think Harry Dry with marketing examples does a phenomenal job with his content, but he kind of went away for a while. And you kind of like, he's come back now, but it's, you know, a little bit of the love lost. You know, you lose some of the summer fling love. It's like, okay, that was then. So if one, I think it's finding that consistency and what can be the byproduct of your work, which for us, that's why like we like to build in public kind of framework for content because we're already trying to build this stuff and then we just easily share it out there, right? And so, and let's also figure out what works for you. Like the newsletter is kind of easy for us because it's a roundup. We do podcasts because audio is easier than having to look at a blank page and write a blog post. So that's one thing, consistency and a frictionless medium. The second thing that I, I kind of struggle with, but it's what is your unique take on things where if everyone's looking at the same thing, what's your unique perspective? or what's your angle? Because you don't want to just be like everybody else and do these roundups. How can you have a take where like, oh, I want the science-backed approach to this. I'm going to go look at Thomas. Or I want like the bootstrappers approach to this. I'm going to go look at, you know, Rob Walling and how they think about it. And so if you can get those two things, one consistency and two, that unique take or your perspective, and it doesn't have to be groundbreaking. It can be a few shifts in the other direction of looking at it from this angle. And then it's just figuring out how can you like kind of unleash it. And also we're big fans of, can you batch work stuff? Like whenever I schedule content, I try and schedule it for two weeks, just because crazy things happen. You have a week where you can't do stuff and that can kind of save you, but it's, uh, it, it, it's tough. 
tough, right? It's tough to always be relevant, always be topical and, and, and know what's going on. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. It's very interesting from two different perspectives. The first one is that we should be like very conscious, very purposeful about the content. So whenever we are recording something like today, maybe we can have snippets out of this. Maybe we can have mm -hmm. 20 statuses. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> we'll see yeah. what we can get here. But nevertheless, there's also a stress. And there's also like addiction to social media and just oh like this immersive amount of cortisol that is flowing throughout our brain, <laughs> like our self-identity being dependent on the amount of likes that we get. And it's kind of a psychological trap as well. So for very intelligent people like you, like some of my mentees, I always say that just try to be distant from it, be consistent, but never, ever, ever validate your personal word for the number of likes that you'll have and never feel like enslaved through the platform because people are always like this and this and that we should be doing this we should be commenting five posts before we ever post and something like that and i'm i mean i'm just being realistic life happens we don't have the bandwidth it's not like even roi worth it to do something all the time so i'm just trying to find this delicate balance between what we should supposed to be doing versus what's realistic for us yeah and comparison's dangerous too because you look at this person or that person like oh my gosh like they're 10x bigger than me or man mm -hmm. they're doing such cool things and I, i'm not there and Comparison is so dangerous. Everybody's on their own path at their own speed. As long as you're having momentum and, and getting better, I think that that's really important. And I agree. Because I also like, if what's the main metric? Because we're trying to build companies, but we can get obsessed with, like, oh, are we like growing the podcast or the newsletter at the right pace? Yes, that's important. But that should be secondary to, to the overall goal. And also, sometimes I'll be on those. I've, I've tried to delete them from my phone at times. I, I even, just, sorry, I even convinced my husband to put me on a children's mode on iPhone. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I like give my wife the phone at dinner because she's, you needed a break. I'm like, you're right take this horrible thing away. But in, and if you can, I'm, I've been better granted we're three weeks, two weeks into the year, but trying to block time of this is time for consuming content. This is time for creating content. And this is time for work and thinking. Cause I think transition costs can be really hard when you're doing a lot of different things. 
So trying to have themes for days and time of day to to do things. So th- that's something that I'm I'm trying to to be aware of as well. Mm, I think that we can come down to a theory that we probably both know it's maker's time and manager's time right oh, i yeah. did realize that those slots have to be a little longer for me because sometimes <laughs> it literally takes me one hour to just get to a thing you know not to produce anything but just like to kind of fire my brain around oh yeah i need to walk around working. the house and snack in the kitchen and kind of like daydream before i can get into that mode whereas i feel my business partner jonathan he's a light switch he'll just switch like all right it is time to create i wish I had his his robot energy sometimes, but I I take a little bit more easing in and out of those phases. Sorry, sorry. What's the sport that he's training? Like, oh, jujitsu. Jujitsu. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing. Exactly. Yeah, he, as well. He he is. I'm a huge fan of James Clear and habits and systems. And Jonathan is next level at that. That's how he runs his life. Which on the surface level that could look very boring but the truth is by having systems and structure it actually allows for a lot of freedom and openness as as you get busier in life oh nice impressive (laughs) i know it sounds boring but once you get a little bit of clarity and just like permission I think this permission not to overwhelm yourselves and not to be like absorbed with everything what you should be doing, but like picking the priorities and whatnot, that's the will to freedom. But anyways, before we get to philosophical, let's return back to the go-to-market strategies. And maybe you could walk us through some of the common patterns that you see throughout business model. Because at Growth Hit, for example, you are helping SaaS businesses, e-com businesses, you have a bunch of different models. And just like from a get-go, and if you maybe recall traction model, like traction channels, what do you think are these nuances between optimal go-to-market strategies and different business models that are existing out there? Yeah. So with you know your go-to-market strategy after you're understanding your persona and your offer, it's it's really like asking yourself, where do we maybe have some momentum or where do we have to create momentum? Because usually when I'm seeing people go from like a seed round to an A round of growth, it's literally on the back of one, maybe two channels. And so how can you be great at one rather than kind of half decent at, at a bunch of them? And those channels can take different shapes and and forms, right? You've got people that were phenomenal at direct response marketing on Facebook and in Instagram. And there's still some companies that do very well there. They're usually having a high average order value. So they have room in the margins for, for CAC. There's another company called Return Home that's literally doing human composting that has an insane short form video organic content strategy. They're getting millions of views on TikTok, building up brand to get all this PR that's trickling into them building their business. And they've gone all in on that. But as you have these things that get momentum, they're going to plateau to some extent. And then you need to decide, okay, let me layer on these other channels. Because we see it whenever, like we have one company, work with them. This is in the consumer space. They were doing 300K in sales. We just hit 2 million in sales, all on the back of paid. They've done some great stuff with influencers, but there's a little bit of plateau in growth rate. It's time to now layer on another channel or another way to get people. And it's looking at partner channels for one. It's looking at building a community as two, three. It's 
It's looking at what are collaborations we can do with, with other people with, with big followings, and they're looking at investing in, in SEO. And so it's it's really figuring out what is the right point for that. Even like talking to Rob Sobers at Veronis, I mean, they they got to 25 million on the back of sales, but then they plateaued. And he's that's when we got really good at SEO and then at ABM and, and paid marketing. And so it's it's really being aware of what channel can you ride? And usually you're not squeezing enough out of it. But then it needs to flip and then you need to like layer on the, these other ones. Because even when companies are spending under 50K a month, a lot of times it's don't do more than two channels. If anything, just do one and do it phenomenally well. But but it's it's easier said than done, I think, whenever you're, you're a founder that wants to do everything. Yeah, let's role play for a sec because I'm sure that you know the scenario. So I'm a potential founder and I come to you a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit neurotic. And I say, mm. Jim, I would like to have SEO. I would like to have Facebook advertising. I would like to have TikTok viral. I would like to have this and this and that, like everything that I know, how much would it cost me? And when can we start? <laughs> how, would you, how would you manage me? How would you align yeah. my expectations of this shiny object syndrome that I should be doing oh, everything? Man. You, man, you're you're giving me PTSD on these sales calls. <laughs> So I want to diagnose two things. The first thing I'm diagnosing is, are you even ready for growth? And do you even have traction? And yes, to get some, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, right. And so, because too many times people want it all, but I'm like, you're not even ready to grow. And that's when I try and diagnose it by being like, okay, tell me about traffic volume. Tell me about your conversion rate. If it's e-commerce for a purchase, based on your average order value. If it's a B2B company, what's the lead signup rate and then your close rate? And if there are issues there, I'm like, pump the brakes. We, you're about to pour good money after something that's going to end very badly because we will just accelerate your failure. And so that, that's something that we're trying to diagnose. But say there is traction. I'm like, all right, you have stuff that's working. Let me get into the numbers and see what's working that is somewhat effortless or that comes easy. Because my guess is you're not squeezing enough out of that. And so that's something that we'll start to understand. Like, oh, wow, is paid kind of working? Organic's working? You're, you're amazing at PR or you have a partner channel. And then how can we amplify that or optimize that to a certain extent? And so with you know a lot of consumer companies... There's two options and I everyone loves the new darling. I think TikTok organic is really impressive, but to do paid there and for it to give you the direct ROI like Meta, Facebook, Instagram, it, it's just not there yet. It'll probably change by the time this maybe publishes, but your first 50K that you're spending on paid is probably going to be in Meta or Google. And you want to do those phenomenally well before you start to you know, test other ones. Should you be looking at like SEO and organic? You'll be happy you did it in 12 months to plant those seeds. But we all know that's a long-term play, not a short-term play. And what are those opportunities? If you're creating a new category and you want to own it, like with Return Home, they want to own Terramation and go all in on that. But if you're launching another digital marketing agency or another fashion brand, and you're trying to go after like comfy jeans, it's going to be a knife fight. Is that worth it, right? So really trying to understand what is that ROI potential on, on these channels. So, so those are things that I'm trying to look through. One, do you have product market fit? Two, where do you have momentum and where can we be phenomenally well at this phase of growth before we like layer on these other things? And then based on your type of product, so if you're an e-commerce product that's doing fast fashion that have a lot of drops of products, oh my gosh, please 
be world-class at email automation, marketing, and SMS. If you're more of an acquisition product, if you're selling mattresses, you know, email is important, but not as important. But if you're a high retention product, go all in on it. Email is also important if you have a high average order value over $300, $500, because it won't be an impulse purchase. You're going to need email to push them down that decision journey, address those objections, and hopefully get them to convert. All righty. Cool. You calm me down a little bit. But as a founder, I have another crazy idea. So I would like to create a viral growth hack that would skyrocket my business in a month, preferably. And like whenever we are calling it growth, there might be these stories about carries or drop boxes or whatnot. So I have all inflated expectations to go viral. Handle me. Yes. Well, first, love it. Let's do it. But Let's change how we think about it. Don't think of one campaign that we're putting all of our eggs in a basket where it's hit or miss. Change your mind and be like, hey, let's think of 10 ideas, knowing that nine of them will fail and hopefully one of them will work. So let's create a safe space right now where it's okay to fail. So it's like that. That's like step one. The second is let's think of a spectrum for going viral of what are your options and how much it's going to cost you. Obviously, we all want to make that viral video like Dollar Shave Club and, and go for it. D don't use my dollars to do it, but go for it and try and make that happen. And that could be amazing. The other way to think about it is, okay, how do we go viral? A lot of times it's getting word mouth marketing, which is referrals. To get a referral, you're only as good as the incentive that you put out there. And so one way to think through how much you can spend on its incentive is what is your ideal cost per acquisition? So we've seen it like with PayPal, like they went viral because they were just giving people money to create a PayPal account. They were burning a million dollars a day, but their retention was so strong. Their LTV was so, so strong. They could do that. Yeah. And so also referral, people... like it's happening with chat GPT. Sorry for interrupting, but like yes. most of the time I'm trying to access it, it's down. Oh, it's down because it costs so much for all of those queries. But like when you have an amazing product like that, your product is your best marketing, give it away for free and it goes viral, right? Similar like with Robinhood, whenever they launched on the back of stock trading for free, they didn't have to do any marketing because the product did it for them. If you're an e-commerce company, you can do that as well. Like Girlfriend Collective, they gave away their leggings that are 90 bucks to people. But if you think about it, that cost per acquisition with their costs of the product, it's still under 30 bucks, which isn't horrible. But it's just taking that CAC instead of giving Facebook, Instagram, Meta 30 bucks to acquire somebody, let's do it in a new creative way. And you mentioned Harry's, their incentives for their referral program was phenomenal. Giving blades away, giving a safe set, a shave set away for, you know, 50 or 25 referrals. So it's like, okay, let's think outside the box. What is our ceiling of cost per acquisition? Is it $30? Is it $300? And I'll take that. What are creative ways to apply that? Giving the product away from free, paying people, because the Harry's examples and the Robinhood examples are fun to look at, but we can't just copy those because everyone's tried that and they, they people are numb to it. We have to get innovative with new variations of that. So it's okay. We look at our spectrum of options. We know what our cost is to potentially acquire somebody with this. Now let's think of 10 ideas knowing that nine will fail. And let's see how we can drip them out there and, and see how it works. Like we did one with 
a wine company where we did this epic giveaway to a chateau that got us like 50,000 signups in 30 days. But that was after four tests. We did one with the Neobank. Yeah, the next time where... you're doing one, just send the link over, okay? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Get, get you to the chateau. We did one with the Neobank where we just did weekly giveaways of 250 bucks. And to enter the giveaway, you had to refer a friend. And all of a sudden, we got to almost 70,000 signups. Lineups. And that's not that exciting, but it's just like the way in which we kind of laid it out. But there's different ways to, to think about trying to go viral, but you also don't want to get caught in the trap of we go viral and we got all these people, but none of them are potential customers because eventually you want them to be able to give you money for your product. To be honest, I anticipated an entirely different answer. I thought that you would just be killing these ideas, but that's literally <laughs> like the geniosity of it when marketing good old playbook, how we are doing things. Of course, it's rational. Of course, it's like a spreadsheet, but the nuance, the genius part of it comes when you are innovative. And sometimes yeah. like people even struggle to find that within themselves, within their product, because the majority of people, if you just look at their work schedules, they are like on 80% reactive basis. They are on meetings, they are doing reporting, they have to firefight, and there is le very little bandwidth, mental capacity left for this type of work that you were describing right now. Do you have from your practice any good exploration technique of how to bring those ideas out, how to get people to think bigger about this, not just like for Excel spreadsheet? Oh my gosh, this is such a good question. And it's funny, I, I've changed because if you would ask me that same question on virality like two years ago, I probably would have been like, we need repeatable and scalable tactics. But like I said, yes, you need those, but the companies that get this breakout success, they do these one-off things. They do these stunts that really work. And so it's all about creativity. That's why like innovation teams and research teams are so coveted at these, these big brands. If, if you look at the Fortune 500 list, changes over time, like 80% of the companies have dropped off. And the reason for that is you get too big, you stagnate because there's no innovation and creativity. You could argue like creativity is the most important thing. So how do you come up with creative ideas? There's a whole framework on, I'm actually going to get some on the podcast, Will Hughes, that does a, a mastermind in this. And a framework that he gives is you need to look at things differently from everybody else. So to think differently, think of it one way where what is overvalued right now, what is undervalued, right? And he did a study of direct consumer brands where what was overvalued was paying too much for these ad agencies. What's undervalued is people aren't paying enough for phenomenal copywriting, right? So that, that's one example of it. And so if you can ask, okay, what's undervalued? What's overvalued? You know, what is everybody doing? How can we zig when people are zagging? You know, what are the actual numbers we could use to acquire people? And what are like 20 crazy ways to, you know, think differently? I also think as marketers, we put these frameworks in place, which are great, but they're also limiting. Bring in someone from customer service, bring in a musician, bring in a graphic designer, and just throw the idea at them. They might totally flop and you're like, all right, see you later. Or they could open your mind to something totally different. And so getting exposure to things like that and like, like removing those frameworks can be helpful.
I remember this episode from the, oh my God, I, I will sound like literally your most fanatic fan, but this was the episode which was aired before the New Year's, right? And you were talking about this immersive thinking, about aggressive timelines and whatnots. And that came super handy as I was like working on my New Year's resolutions and something. Because like just this notion of achieving something in a year I mean, it's blurry. And also the same with marketing and growth planning. If you have the job to do like a yearly budget, it's like here are our events. Maybe this is Valentine's Day. This is this and that holiday. I mean, it gets really, really, really rigid. But I love Mm -hmm. how this brings an additional spice to it, just a little bit of more innovation and edge because nevertheless we are trying to differentiate ourselves from competitors right and if everybody is thinking the same way our only superpower could be to think differently no exactly right and i and you know it's it's good to do the planning i think i need to be better and that's what we're trying to do and that's how you get the 10 percent gain but if you can also think through how do we get a 10x gain that's where we have to just think differently. Like, how do we like smart cut, shortcut these goals? And so it's it's built baking time and like feeding your mind with things that 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 could open that up is is super important. And it's not talked about because it's a little woo-woo, it's a little intangible, but but I think it can be impactful. And these are parallel processes. As you are trying to get better in business, you have to become like a better human being for the lack of the cheesiest word. <laughs> but really these things are parallel. Oh yeah, absolutely. They 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 kind of feed into themselves because you've got to get your your health right, your mind right, and then all those things can kind of be set up to succeed. Because if not, it's just you're 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 doomed, you could say. Fantastic. So once we are on positive spiral, here is my next mental challenge for you. So Uh-oh. imagine that I invented this awesome kit together. So here is a candle and here is a mm-hmm. candle ninja. This is the lighter, right? And in yeah. order to light the candle, this is a very good experience for me. I'm not burning my fingers. So I lit the candle without being burned, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The job to be done here is if I was a founder pitching this candle lightener thingy to you, how would we sell it? How would we make a million dollar business out of this stupid gadget? I gotcha. So so do we have electricity? I need a little, or do we have electricity or we just have candles and we've been maybe lighting them with matches and burning ourselves? Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. So the way to think about this is I want to go with the framework of first, how do we position it? Maybe this is category creation. As we look at the 22 immutable laws of marketing, chapter two, category creation. So it's not about talking about our brand. We're not trying to get people to switch from our lighter to another. We're trying to elevate this category in general. So to elevate a category, you want to talk about use cases. You want to talk about something you're you're solving in, in day-to-day life, right? And so that's one thing that I'm thinking through is like, okay, how do we do that? So it, it's coming up the right... I have already tackled it. So I'm meditating and I'm very ecologically friendly. So I yes. definitely want to burn all my candles to the ground. And yeah. if I would be doing it with traditional um, like uh, fire thingy, I would burn myself. But with this baby, I can actually touch it and burn the, most of the candle. 
Oh, I love. Okay, so you you've nailed the position. You nailed the persona. We're then we're going to do a, a thunderclap of a launch. And so first, we're going to do one of two things. We're either going to do cold emails to like three hundred to five hundred micro influencers, all in that persona that you said. We're going to give them the product for free, and then we're going to you know, go on all the podcasts and we're going to have it all time around the same 35 day window of launch. If we're lucky, we can get one that has over a million followers. Similarly, the Bala Shoes launch, they did 1.5 million in sales in five days on the back of this strategy. So that, that that's one thing. The second thing is we're, we are going to take a crack at trying to go viral with some like epic referral mechanism because these lighters are going to run out. Maybe people need to subscribe. We give it to you for free if you subscribe for two to three days. So boom, we've got that. We're going to overinvest in copywriting, an amazing asset that we can amplify on, on paid channels. Hey, we're going to even launch a community with all these influencers we're reaching out to around our, our maybe it's meditation or movement in the dark or, or whatever that could be. And so we kind of make this thunderclap around, around all of this. So hopefully that gets us to like, two to five million, then maybe we need to raise a little bit of money to do some inventory management, get some sophisticated systems. We graduate from generalist to specialist, and then then we're off to the races on diversifying into channels. But I think, yeah, you, you could get to that first mid seven figures on, on the back of, of that strategy. I love it. And meanwhile, when you were talking this, I got like another idea. So we could bundle <laughs> it with candles. We could offer this in different colors oh. to add different. Oh, you rooms. nailed it. We new colors. definitely have like candles and new colors thingies to fit each and every one of the candle enthusiasts life. And the candles, by the way, have an amazing margin. Also on Amazon and whatnot. These are like high budget products and I love them. Totally. Yeah. And if people fall in love with the brand, they'll get a lot. Because the other thing that's interesting with a lot of consumer companies, what is the flagship product or the gateway product where once you get them in, they're hooked? With a lot of fashion brands, it's jeans and pants. If you get them to know their size with the pants and jeans, all the other things are an easy cross sell because the, the, the jeans are kind of the anchor and the hardest thing. So, or once I love the product, like with Halo Top, it's been rolling out a million different crazy new flavors. So they're always trying and, and testing different ones. Awesome. So we can also sell soap and just like home fragrances. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe you should like pivot from handsome chaos into yeah, the company make... that I just pitched. Yeah. The thing that's fun too, it's, you know, if you can, I love it when brands can just own a persona and speak to them specifically rather yeah, trying to be you, everything to everyone. Chaos, like you are coming beautifully from yourself. That was one genius use case. Well, we'll see if we can launch it, but yeah, that that's what I love. Cause even like agencies that do that well, that's, Hey, are you like a SaaS business owner that's doing this amount of revenue? Like we're the right agency for you. I'm like, Oh man, that's so cool. They can be that narrow and focused. So yeah, that that's that that's so exciting when you can nail that. Awesome. Woo. Jim, for the last question, I say something that will resonate beautifully to your uh -oh. studies. And these are the metrics. So we were talking about millions, we were hyping like how everything can be achieved. But what are the metrics to be measured? For example, if I go and I invest two million into my candle company that will only make a million, boy, I'm in trouble. So what would be yeah. a good what would be a good set of metrics for a go-to-market strategies? What would you observe? What do you observe when you are helping these companies? Yeah, I mean, for us, we're really trying to understand their, their core unit economics. It's okay. 
How much is the product? What's the expected lifetime value over a year or even 90 days? Because we do 90 days because, you know, understanding the return on cash is very important for people that are somewhat cash constrained. So I want to know that. That way, as we start to do marketing, we can see if we're going to be in the green or the red. And so what that means is if your product's 30 bucks, costs five bucks to make, okay, our tax ceiling will be like $15. Okay, good to go. Those are the parameters. And that's just on one purchase. But if they're going to make three purchases... In, in 90 days, okay, we're going to make $90. The room could go up to $40 or $50. And it could go up more as you expand on the, the LTV. So once you have those guardrails for you, your unit economics for cost per acquisition and overall ROI based off LTV, then you can start playing the game of marketing and deciding what you want to do short-term and, and long-term. Obviously, Companies that have raised a lot of money can play a little bit differently with their games, whereas people that are more bootstrapped or cash constrained. But th- those are those are truly the core of what I'm thinking through is LTV over 90 days and cost per acquisition to, to drive almost everything. I'm definitely looking at before I'm really investing in growth, if it's an e-commerce site, your conversion rate, if your average order value is over $80 or $100, I want it to be over 2%. As you get over $300, it could dip below that a little bit, especially if you're doing a lot of paid ads, but I really want to keep those healthy because as those go down, it, it can just spiral out of control. That was very insightful. What about if you are opening a new channel or a new market? Are there any like thumbs up metrics that you are seeing maybe like for a viral video that engagement would be like 10% or something like that? Are there any indicators before that that makes you feel good? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of times I'd even take a, a tad further as we'll build up a wait list to see, do we have traction there? Or even wait list for a product or even try and pre-sell it to, to see if there's some demand there just, just to test it. Because we had some companies that would launch brick and mortar locations and they do big launches and they're trying to build a wait list for the launch to kind of signal w- when it's ready. But but those are some things that that I'm I'm thinking through. Fantastic. So, Jean, thank you so much for taking the time. I have no idea where this is going to be published, if ever. (laughs) (laughs) No, but as to say to you, like, you have been like this North Star on my journey. There wasn't a single week that's passed by without me sending your podcast to at least three other different people. Thanks for giving us all this amazing content. And it's my pleasure. It's my privilege to observe you on this journey. Thank you so much. And hope to talk to you again. In a year or so. Yeah, whenever we got to make this an ongoing thing, but I can't thank you enough for first the support and two, like the stuff we've done with Growth Hackers. It's been so fun to kind of collaborate in different ways. And what you're doing is super impressive as well. But thank you. And uh, yeah, I, I think we'll find some ways to, to get this content out here. I'm excited for you to send me the video over. Or maybe we can co invest <laughs> in a candle company. There we go. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> thank you so much and good day to you. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, 
GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.